0: This is the the third and final part of the the, the Good Samaritan piece. And instead of going back into details of everything we've explored the past two weeks, I'm going to read through the passage fairly rapidly. Stop a little bit along the way, and then get to a a part at the very end that we hadn't really discussed. Some of you, again, may not have been here, but a lot of us have been. Um, We'll follow along in Luke 10, verses 25. We'll start there. This is in your handout. If you have your Bible, you're more welcome to follow along there as well. But it says, "One day, an expert in in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question." Now immediately we're told that he was an expert in the religious law the older version the other version's call he was a scribe he was someone trained in the law the religious law of his day He was kind of a lawyer but a lawyer in their day was was something that also had a, a religious connotation attached to it so he's a very skilled very learned man who decides in the midst of what seems to have been a, a large gathering of people who had been listening to Jesus teach and interact with other uh, teachers and questions he was fielding, this particular man shows that he has a a particular kind of confidence. It's just that, because he didn't just come to ask Jesus a question, what's implied by what we just read is that he was doing it with a kind of motive that was designed to maybe challenge Jesus. And so it says here that he, he asked him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That is, what would you say is the most important thing? What does true success look like? What does God really want from us? And Jesus replied, well, you know, and I don't, think, I don't think he was prepared for the answer he got. He maybe was thinking Jesus was going to say something more challenging, more profound. But Jesus basically doesn't initially take the bait in the argument. He says, well, you, you know, this is your area of expertise, right? You're, this is what you do. How would, how would you uh, answer your own question? He quickly rallies. The man answered, and he says, well, and he says an answer that essentially summarizes the law in a way that was also very much in alignment with what Jesus had taught on more than one occasion. He says, look, the way I see it is you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and and then love your neighbor as yourself. These two pieces, loving God, loving others. And maybe he was expecting Jesus to elaborate, to add some qualifications, but Jesus said, you know, you're exactly right. In fact, If you will do exactly what you just said, you'll you'll live. You have your answer already. You've already answered the question. So I guess we're done, right? That was the implication. But he was bothered. There was something, look what I said. This is basically he was bothered by something Jesus had said. Maybe it was the, the way that Jesus had looked at him. Maybe it was the tone. Maybe it was just the power of the words that hit him. But something about it when Jesus said, you know, just do what you've said. And you've answered it. You exa- you're on it. It says, he wanting, look what it says. He wanting to what? To justify himself. From what? Justify himself. Make himself not feel as bad. He, he, it, the answer of Jesus kind of bothered him. And he seems to have gotten stuck on the second part of it. Look at that. It says that he says, you know, who, the who is my neighbor part. Like, he, it's almost like he wants Jesus to elaborate on. Well, come on now. It's not that simple. I mean, who is my... Okay, I get it. Yeah, love God, love my neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? I mean, how would you define it? He wanted to know how Jesus defined the responsibility of love. Where does it extend to? Are, you know, it's not that simple. It's more nuanced. It's more complicated. Come on. And, and, he, and again, where is he saying this? In front of a lot of people. Jesus put him back at some level on the spot and then what happens is he says that Jesus then rolls out this story that has come to live on for generations in an amazing way. He's made its way into our vernacular. It's part of our language. When we talk about someone being a good Samaritan or caring for someone, we all know it. It comes from Jesus' teaching and that teaching was precipitated by this inquiry that was given in front of everybody, a large group of people. Jesus says, well, who is my neighbor? Okay, there was a man. In fact, he was a Jewish man, we're told. He was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. He, was, he fell among thieves, as the older version says. You know, they, immediately everybody knows what he's talking about because that, that particular um, road was known to be dangerous. The, I asked them if they could put up the, the picture of uh, sort of giving the geography of the region, and again. You can still go there today, same road exists essentially, it's now paved, but it's it's pretty close to the same way that they would have gone. It's not that far away from Jerusalem to Jericho, but it was a very precarious and uh, dangerous, perilous journey at that time. Everybody would have known it. People knew people who had been hurt on that road. It was a dangerous road. In fact, I asked them if they could show a picture. Picture was obviously from a time when they had photography at the same time, it, it shows you that over a, a number of centuries, very little had changed since Jesus' time. And you can see how, how desolate that was, how, how dangerous that road could have been, particularly if you were traveling alone or by yourself. Even if you were in a pair, you, you always you see how it was you know, um, filled with turns, blind turns. You didn't know what was around the bend. There were a number of places where people were uh, vulnerable to being jumped. And Jesus, so Jesus is making a, a very uh, strong, vivid connection with something they all understood, including the man he was talking to, who had asked him the question. So Jesus says, you know, there was this man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. He, he says, this is what happened. And, and again, understood, they understood it. They beat him up. They, they, they took everything he had. They even took his clothes, and they rolled him on the side of the road, bloody, beaten, dying, utterly alone, just left for dead, And they moved on. Jesus says, "Half dead beside the road." And then Jesus says, "But you know what? There was somebody actually that was passing by." He says, "There was a priest. In this case, it was of someone who a priest was in Jerusalem and served in the temple at that day." And Jesus says that when he saw the man lying there, he he looked he he looked at him from afar. We're assuming maybe he was scared. People we we talked about this how people would sometimes play dead and then or play hurt or injured, and then someone would go to help, and then they would get jumped. Maybe he was thinking, I have other responsibilities I've got to get to, but whatever the reason, was, hassle or fear, Jesus doesn't say intentionally. He just says that the man, that the priest decided that he didn't really want to deal with that man. I'm not even sure if he's alive. I'm just going to cross over to the other side. I can't take a chance right now, Jesus says, and the priest crossed by on the other side. He didn't even get close. Jesus says, but you know what else? There was another man. He was also someone kind of with a religious responsibility he says this man was and look at it it says in verse 32 a temple assistant we he was called a levite someone who served in the temple as well and he actually got a little closer he walked over he he looked at him lying there but he was less fearful more curious but not willing to go the extra step and so he too decided i can't get involved and he crossed by on the other side that's what jesus says and at that point you know it's interesting because jesus could have stopped he could have said well there it is. You see, right? Because he's talking to a religious guy. And he could have very easily left because the two examples he has is basically people who would have had that sort of, you know, same you know, overall worldview and the connection would have been quite clear. I mean, obviously, if you say you love God I and mean, then you don't help. And Jesus could have said, so there it is. But he doesn't do that. What he does is something that really would have shocked his audience a little bit and really would have caught his disciples off guard as well because Jesus introduces a third character a third person who's passing by, the man who had been beaten and left on the side of the road to die, bloody and utterly alone, stripped down. He says there was another man. And Jesus intentionally says this. There's no question he did. He says this third man who was passing by was also a businessman, but he was a, it would seem, but he was a despised man. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He was a Samaritan. Now, at the time there was tremendous tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. Not just was it ethnic, it was, it was religious. It had, you know, Samaritans were partially Jewish. They were mixed Jewish race. And, and there was tremendous, and it went both ways, but bad feelings. Feel resentment. You know, so much so that there was that one time where Jesus has interaction with the woman at the well. She's shocked that he's talking to her, not just because the the male-female component of it at that time, but because she says to him, what are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan? You know we don't have any dealings with one another. um, That's just not how it works here. We each have strong feelings, and we both don't interact with each other. So when Jesus intentionally uses the despised Samaritan as his example, everybody's paying attention. Even his disciples are paying attention right now. What is Jesus doing? What is he talking about? It says, Jesus says, but you know what? There was a, there was a Samaritan who came along. Look at that, that 33rd verse. It says, and he came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him, so much so that he went over to him. And then he didn't, didn't just look at him and feel sorry for him and even pray over him. He went over, and he, he, and he, you know, and he could have said, look, you know, let his own people take care of him. I mean, you know what? I'm sure he had his own stories, but Jesus said that he went over to him, and he found that man, and he, his heart went out to him, and it didn't matter to him that he, he was a Samaritan, and he was a Jew. He went down, and he started to help him, and it says that he, he got down, and he soothed his wounds, and, and he poured some oil and wine on him just to clean off the dirt and the blood that had been dried, and, and he cleaned him, and he bandaged him, and he... And again, remember I talked about it last week, how he tenderly must have even talked to him the way that Jesus' character asked You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I know you. And, that, and that, then he says that he soothed him. He lifted him up on, on his donkey. We talked about that. And he got him up, you know, and put him up there. And the man, we assume, slouching down, just barely can hang on. And he's got him. He's holding him up and he's moving him along. And he gets him to an inn. And Jesus says, When he gets him to the inn, he then goes and he, and he takes care of him for that day. And then he's got to go. Um, so he goes to the innkeeper and he says, "Look, i 've got to leave, um, but I want to give you some money to cover this man. I need you to take care of him." So Jesus says he gave him the money, the two silver coins in this case. And he says to him, "And if by the way he, that's, you need more, then you, you put it on my, ta- I, you, I will pay you when I come back. You just take care of this man, okay? And that 's the story. And then, and then Jesus then takes it one more step further. And he says, and this is the moment. Then he turns back to the scribe. And he says, now, I have a question for you. Look at it. Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Now, that's the question. You know what? Before I do anything more with this, in that moment, I want to put a couple of things on the board. And the reason, at least one thing, and I'm going to do it early because there was something about, see, the reason we look at this is because we want to apply it. So some of us, I'm hoping, will think about it somewhere, maybe even, even tonight, somewhere during the day, or maybe this week, we revisit it, we think about it, we listen, we talk about it over a cup of coffee or in a small group or with a friend. We, I, I don't know how. In our own time with God, we reflect back on it. But here's the thing. As I was looking at this, it dawned on me what Jesus had done. Jesus had taken, remember, he walked, this man walked up to Jesus very confident with a lot of bravado. He felt very good about himself, and he was not afraid to challenge Jesus. Think about that. He did it to test him. It was clear to everybody the man had confidence, and he put the light on Jesus. What do you say? Well, you know what Jesus did by this moment? The light had totally turned from that man putting on. Jesus had turned it totally back on him. Who, which of these was the neighbor? And in that moment, he had to look at his own heart. And, and, and it reminded me, because he wanted to quibble with Jesus over who was the neighbor. And by the time Jesus was done, he had turned it on his own, turned it back on him to look at his own heart. And it reminded me that there are going to be times when the Lord is, we should not be surprised, number one, that, that the Lord at times will challenge us to examine our own heart. when he will turn the light on us and instead of, instead of letting us be okay with something that we might feel very justified with, he turns the light back into, onto our heart and begins to challenge our attitude. We come with something, he ends up turning it back towards us. I've thought about this in my own life. Can you hear me when I say that, that there are times where the Lord will, will, will turn the focus back on us? You know, we'll say, but Lord, look what they did. Or look what she, this is what she said. Or this is how he responded. You know, and and we get, we're bothered. Um, We often want God to sign off on how we are maybe uh, dealing with a situation. We might be doing that right now. Maybe a situation at work, might be in our own house, might be with a friend, might be with somebody who offended us, somebody who said something about us, somebody who did something, somebody who should have done something and didn't do it. And we feel bothered by that, and it, we're angry, we might be resentful, we might feel at some level agitated, um, we are not going to compromise, they owe me an apology. Uh, we, again, we get into our entrenched position, sometimes we're extraordinarily competitive, and, and we feel like, you know, if this is a pitch battle, and I'm in the right and you're in the wrong, or at least I'm more right and you're less right. And, 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 and you, if anybody's going to cave in here, it's going to be you. And then we have to go. Here's the deal, though. And I've had those moments, right, where I felt like, you know, God, I can't believe what they did to me. or That's just wrong. And I find myself like Jonah, sitting on the outskirts of the city of Nineveh under the plant, the unpredictable tree, as it's sometimes called, waiting for God to take care of the, his enemies. And then the Lord turns the whole thing back on him. And says, let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about your pride. Let's talk about where this anger is coming from. Where is this lovelessness? And how is that supposed to look like me? But Lord, what about, it's not about, it's about us. And in those moments when the Lord does that, it can be really humbling because it's almost like we cannot be at peace in our fence. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like we, want to, we feel like we're right, but, we're, but the Lord, I, the only way I can describe it is when we go before God or we've got this feeling when we're, when we're just trying to move forward in our normal life following Jesus, that all of a sudden we start feeling like, you know what, it's not okay. And the reason it's not okay is not because of them. That's true, that may not be okay, but it's because of, of what's going on inside of me. It's my own heart and the Lord is looking at it saying you will need forgiveness you will need mercy you need it every day and have you you know the lord has a way of turning it you know sort of like we might quibble see i think about it's fascinating think about it what was he quibbling with jesus over who is my neighbor what is the extent of my love supposed to be and a lot of times that's where we get stuck it's like in our, relational, in our relationships, we start getting bothered by, well, how much loving am I supposed to be here? You know, isn't there like, uh, am I am I not right in this in this attitude in my heart? I mean, it, it, well, how could, they're in the wrong, and we get stuck in this place. And a lot of times, in that place, the Lord turns it, and He's like the master teacher. And you know, I'm I'm, I'm wanting to be let off, right, let off the hook because of what they did, or what she said, or some other excuse. And, and what the Lord is, does is the, as the master teacher, he then exposes my heart and says, you, you got to begin to, this, whatever's going on there, the, the, the issue right now is inside here. And, that, and when those moments happen, you know what you, you do? That's what I do. I get out my flag. I start waving my white flag. <laughs> okay, Lord, I know I need to surrender this attitude right now because I'm so mad. I am so angry. I am deeply offended. And I know that if I don't watch this, because you're warning me, you're reminding me. Again, I'm not talking about times we're supposed to draw healthy lines. I'm not talking about, you know, some things that need to be dealt with. I get that. But there's a lot of times when really, honestly, we are struggling because of our pride. And we're not going to give in. And the Lord is going to challenge us because then the issue really is, are you going to walk with me? Are you going to follow me? Or is that just something you sing once a week? And then I say, Lord, okay, I surrender. But I need your help. I need your help because I need your grace right now because I, I do not feel strong enough on my own to get past this thing. It really is consuming me it's bothering me. I want to know the, where my love is legitimately no longer responsible for going and you're not even telling me that. You're just basically pointing it back at me. Come on. I need but that's when we need the Lord's grace to help us, right? I go go back to verse 36 again, you guys. Look at it one more time. Okay, let's reset that for a moment. Verse 30 right at the bottom it says now which Jesus turns to him and he says now which of these three would you say, right? Is is, is the the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? He says, you know, Jesus is basically saying, look, you ask me who is my neighbor, and in truth, you have asked what really is the responsibility that is created by, honestly, the commandments that you quoted to me. So what you're really asking me when you say who is my neighbor is you want to know the responsibility that's connected to the the, the command that you just quoted, which we agree on. And, And so Jesus is basically, what he's saying is, so I will answer you with the question, that I know you know already because of this story, the answer to. I'm asking you right now, my friend, who was the neighbor? And he can't even say Samaritan. Um, that's a bridge too far. Where he's willing to go, I guess... The man who <coughs> showed a mercy, of course. And then, oh, I love this too. And then, you know, that was the answer, by the way, of a man totally subdued. Right? That's like defeated and utterly conquered. But then, ah, follows like a, like a sharpened blade, slicing him to the core to the heart, go and do likewise, do that, oh, and what does that mean, what does it mean to go and do likewise, what it means to go and do the same, what does that mean, really, right, the man replied, the one who showed mercy, Jesus said, then you now go and do that, now that is a powerful, profound truth because it reminds us of this second piece. And I'm just gonna add, put it on board. It's a little long, but I, I think it makes the point. Or at least it gives us something to think about. And that is this, that we need to challenge our inclination to categorize and marginalize and instead keep our hearts soft and compassionate. And that again, please hear me. I'm not talking about with going along with everything, signing off on everything, that we have to agree that everything is right. I'm not talking about that. There are times when the most loving thing, you hear me say this all the time, there are some times when the most loving thing we can do, do ever is to call something um, unhealthy when it really is unhealthy. It's not pretending something's good when it's not. At the same time, I, I need us to hear this, that a lot of times what the Lord is calling us to do is to make sure that we keep our hearts soft and compassionate, because I'll tell you why. You know what? We live, remember I mentioned last week we live in a very toxic culture. It's an amazing time. Technology has given us such stunning, extraordinary opportunities, but it's also created a toxicity that is unique to its time. But I'm going to add one more thing. When we live in an urban environment especially, but just in a modern world period, there is a very real tendency to become cynical. And the reason we become cynical sometimes is because, or at least less compassionate, is because we see stuff all the time. And I'll take it one step further. Part of it's because we see so much dishonesty. You know, to, to quote one poet, everyone is so untrue. You know, we see, last night we were talking about it, hustlers are everywhere. So as a result, we, you know, we and we grow up. We we grow up. We are around stuff all the time. So we start getting protective, and, and it's normal and in it's part of life. I get it, you know. And and so as a result, we start we start. You know, we're not going to be hurt. I'm not going to be taken advantage. I've been taken advantage of before. We begin to put a pr- protective mechanisms around us. And 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 as a part of that is we listen. What happens is we get we get a little cynical and we get jaded. And we stop. Some of us stop caring. We st- and we say, "I can't risk that." And you see, I can't risk. That. I can't risk that. Now I'm going to say there are going to be times when the Lord to keep us soft is going to actually challenge us to take a bit of a risk and be a little vulnerable to being hurt. Oh my goodness! Can you say that? Yeah, I can. I can because sometimes if we never risk loving, in, in, if our heart is is just always just sort of guarded because we, we, we want to be extra careful, then we're going, to miss, we're going to miss something of what Jesus has for us in this life and he wants us to be. And I'm, about, I'm going to take that one step further. That's especially true in our critical relationships because, you know, I was thinking about Jesus. He was under, he, nobody ever understood human nature like Jesus. He saw through people. They had nobody. They were, think about this. You and I see someone, interact with them. We may or may not know what we are really seeing. Jesus never, ever misinterpreted what was going on inside of someone's heart. It says he knew what was in the heart of a human being. He understood it. He understood it. He understood the, the disease in every one of us. He understood the fact that we have... Something in us that is an amazing capacity for good and <laughs> kindness. Because that's part of the image of God that sort of still resides in us. It's why we create. It's why we love. It's why we, it's why we can be kind. But there's another part of us. Jesus was under no illusions. And, he, and ultimately, that was the part that would hang, put him on a cross. The beautiful one. But he understood there was also a darkness in, in our heart. Uh, he called it sin. He called it the things that separate us from God. Our willfulness, our pride. Um, The part of us that is sort of, in our own way, fighting God. And it was the sickness, Jesus called it. A spiritual disease that afflicts every human being. That he said he had come to address by giving his life away. The ultimate healing mechanism. But but what caught me was that Jesus, when he saw people, he, he just... He had a tremendous amount of. He was under no illusions, but he had a tremendous amount of sympathy and love for people and empathy. and, and he loved. We know one thing. He loved the outcast. He had a relentless heart for the hurting. And for the oppressed, even. But you know what made it, it was pretty cool about about it, at least for me, is not only did Jesus have a love for the hurting and the oppressed. But he also did it without having any malice to those who, had wealth. There was this amazingly broad reach for Jesus. Now, what he did, you know what Jesus said? He saw all people as equally lost and equally in need of the Savior, equally in need of the love of God. But he did not necessarily say that all people were equally open. And in fact, you know what's interesting? And this is a total side note. But he basically said, when it comes to openness to God and to him, he said, actually, the poor and the broken have a slight advantage. That's why he said, blessed are you. Because he was saying "Is in contrast to some who have much, because you have nothing, a lot of times we're more open. There's nothing to prop it up, nothing to to create a veneer of security, nothing to lose. And so Jesus said, oftentimes, it's in that place of brokenness, blessed are you when you are broken. Your heart is open. That's why sometimes the places of greatest pain in life are often the greatest places of opportunity when it comes to growing a life with God. Because it's in our brokenness that our pride is brought down. And out of that brokenness of pride, the Bible says God is irresistibly drawn to humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But one of the beautiful things is Jesus never told, he told people who are of meat wealth to don't be corrupt, be generous. But he didn't say you were outside of the kingdom but he, he had this amazingly broad reach. It was beautiful. It was not like just saying, I'm only for one kind of people. He was very, very um, well understanding of the world. And he loved everyone. He called everybody to a life with him. And that's a beautiful thing that Jesus teaches us. And, and, I, and I guess my larger point here, though, is that really you and I should care about people, all kinds of people. Never stop caring about people. I I, regardless of whatever social status they have, whatever means they have, it doesn't matter, rich or poor, or in the middle, wherever we may be, highly educated, less educated, it doesn't matter. Honestly, everyone, we are. our heart is to... It, the way that we are to ultimately live our life is, is that kindness and, and compassion and respect should be our dominant way of being with people, according to Jesus. And then I'll, I'll just... Push it one step further. And we'll finish with this. Is that compassion needs to show up, as Jesus modeled it, show up in personal, sacrifice, personally sacrificial ways. Again, he, what did he say to that man? He said, now you go and do the same. You do, what, you do that. You wanted to know who your neighbor was. I've just told you in a picture what it looks like. You want to know who he was? I told you what it looks like. This is what you do. And again, what was going to the same? It was the same as the Samaritan. What did the Samaritan do? He, he tenderly served his neighbor, neighbor right? In, in, in and it was personal, too. That, that love is to be demonstrated in personal ways. Do you see it? I mean, it was personal service. Uh, he personally got involved. He personally took a risk. He personally bandaged the man. He personally lifted him up. He personally put him on that donkey and brought him to that inn. He personally paid for it. I mean, there was a personal component to it. And and what's even more true is that he did it without a grudge and after irritation. That's what we talked about last week. That's where a lot of us struggle. You know why? Because we do the good deed, even the right deed, even the sacrificial one. Stay with me. But we're in a hurry. We have plans. The more organized we are, typically the more sort of things we're trying to juggle, the harder it is for us to love like that. Because that kind of love, you know what that need requires? Intentional presence. And a lot of times we're under so much pressure that we do things, the right things, but we do them rough. We say it rough. We do it rough. And as a result, a lot of times our mind is divided and and it's on... Other things, and as a result, we're torn, maybe even upset, or we feel pressure pressure to get back to our business, to get back to our journey on the road, to lose focus because having decided, we struggle with our decision. And I have done that. You know, like I'm doing the right thing, and I know God wants me to do it, but I'm having a hard time really being present with what I'm doing. I'm stuck, kind of divided. Over what this this good thing that I know in my heart I'm supposed to do, but I'm I'm sort of like divided doing it. And that's the picture Jesus gives us of a man totally present. Once he makes the decision, he's present. You know the best servants that I've ever actually interacted with in my own personal relational life, followers of Jesus, in my mind, the, the best ones I've ever known have had this amazing capacity to be present. If they were in a hurry, I didn't know it. Because their way of being, you know what it said? Their way of being in the conversation? It said, I am present with you. I've, I've learned that from some people that I admire who follow Jesus well. When they're there, they're, very, they're there. That's, it's, hard, it's not as easy as it seems. And again, the Samaritan was not only present in his service, he was tender, he was humble, he was utterly sacrificial. And, and in that sense, he really, it, really does iris, ir, um, it really does illustrate a core principle of the Christian life. And I'll close it with this. And I'm not going to comment a lot. I just want to read the passage because I think it drives everything home. Look at the Philippians passage as a point of closure here. Look how what the Apostle Paul does when he describes Jesus how it so vividly connects with the parable and what it calls us to be, and then it adds one more final piece to it. Look at it, and we'll close with this. He says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender? Are they compassionate? There it is. They make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Love one another. Come on. And work together. Quit fighting. Work together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others. Help us, Lord. Thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look at only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then he goes on to say this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, laid them aside, took the humble position of a slave, of a servant, and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form and he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and he gave him a name that is above every other name, all other names. You see, what he's saying is that Jesus modeled this he modeled personal sacrifice and humility and love that goes all the way. And you see how he did, Jesus did for us what, honestly, what the, the, the Good Samaritan did for the dying man on the roadside. He gave himself personally, humbly, and sacrificially. And, we're, and this is how we are told to act towards one another. You know how the older version says it? It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What did Jesus say to the man? The, Jesus, when the man said, whoa, whoa, who's my neighbor? He said, basically when he's done, he says, now go and do likewise. Think about this. Jesus said, go and do, and then Jesus did. Go and do, he told him, and then he did. Jesus did it. He did it. He gave himself away. And that's what love does. It's not about only, we live, it's not about self-seeking. There are times when God's going to call us, to fall through the commitment that costs us something. And it's not just about my happiness or me being right. It's about what God's calling me to honor and to embrace. And all the life that flows when we hold that truth deeply in our own heart and we allow God to work through our lives. Do you know how many people are blessed because of that? Do you know how many people, you know how much life flows? Jesus did this and life flows generationally in every conceivable direction. And when we do it, Life flows. Life flows. What is God calling us to honor in our heart? We're gonna close, we have a song. It connects the pieces together, but I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna ask God to bless our time. As we close it out, settle this word into our heart. Lord, I pray and I ask you, Jesus, to help us finish this time well. I pray that our hearts would be sensitive to you. I thank you, Lord. You're like, you know, you are the master potter. And we're the clay. And a lot of times we have jagged edges. And some of them, Lord, because things were broken and they snapped off. Or we've got ways of being that are less than what you're calling us to grow into. And I just want to invite you, Holy Spirit, to work in our lives. Some of these things are so hard for us to get breakthrough in. There are some areas in our lives where it's really hard to get breakthrough. But you you have a way of, of working with us. Holy Spirit, living God, move within us. Stir our hearts, soften our hearts, break down hard places. Teach us your ways. Not that we would be weak, but that we would be meek. We would learn your ways, learn of you. I pray for your blessing. Let our love flow in many directions. Let our compassion be real in our lives. to Help us. I ask for your blessing. Bless our final closing song. Bless our time of giving. We honor you in these things as a people. In Jesus' name, amen.